Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my returning guest is former federal prosecutor Michael J. Stern. He writes for USA Today, Chicago Tribune, Guardian, Hill, HuffPost, you name it, he's written there. I always love talking to him. But before we get into our conversation, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash start me up. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash start me up. And don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Michael J. Stern. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to talking to you because aside from, we're going to talk about what you wrote about Garland. The last time you were on the show, I asked you about Garland. You're like, I can't tell you because I wrote something for it and it's not published yet. So now we get to talk about it and I'm so glad. But then also I just have to say that th- this has been happening now for the last four or five shows. The news is so stressful and awful that I need people like you because you're funny and you're real and we can like veer off into kind of fun topics in the middle of talking about all of the hell. So I do want you to know that I totally appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, listen, if you want to tra- talk trash, you know, as well as politics, you've come to the right place. <laughs> okay, so let's just jump into it with Garland. So, uh, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, divided opinions about what he is and isn't doing. And we recently heard that Joe Biden is even a little frustrated with him. So tell us, I read, I did read your article and I thought it was an interesting take. I didn't love it, but I thought it was an interesting take. And I'll tell you. Yeah, listen, I wrote it and I didn't love writing it. Exactly. But I, I think it's an accurate take, unfortunately. Yeah. So, so just tell us. So, you know, the essence of the article, in, which was published in the New York Daily News last month, is that, um, you know, everyone is angry at Gar- all the Democrats, myself mm-hmm. included, are angry at Garland. But there's a reality to what the Department of Justice considers and what the attorney general considers before making a decision as to whether or not they're going to indict someone. And one of the components that they're required to consider is whether or not it's reasonable that they're going to get a conviction. Mm -hmm. And because criminal cases require a unanimous jury of 12, that means that any one person on the jury who's a Trump juror can end up hanging the jury and causing the case to get hung rather than a conviction. And that has an enormous impact not only on, on Trump's case, but the fear that I believe Garland is considering is whether or not it's going to impact other defendants who also then may want to take their shot at trying Mm -hmm. to get a hung jury, particularly if they can hook into some type of a political Democrat versus Republican issue. Um, And, you know, 98 percent of criminal cases are resolved by uh, something other than a trial, Mm -hmm. mostly by guilty pleas. Mm -hmm. And if very publicly the Department of Justice falls flat and can't get a conviction on Donald Trump where the evidence is overwhelming, mm-hmm. um, it could have a very negative impact on, on how uh, <laughs> cases proceed. And DOJ, I'm sure, is worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I've, I when I posted your article, I saw 
the emotional response to it. And of course, the, there's an emotional response that's understandable, but then there is the logical response, or I should say the logical way to look at it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know anything about any of this. Of course, I'm Listen, just a if I were not me, I would be saying, who is that damn prosecutor <laughs> who's writing this article that says all this crap? Because <laughs> I, underst I understand the emotional response is, Everyone has seen what he's been involved in. Mm -hmm. I mean, the January 6th Select Committee has referred to Donald Trump as a cons participant in a conspiracy, a criminal conspiracy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we all know that the evidence is there. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I was saying that there are other things that come into consideration aside from just the evidence, you know, says in large part to the world, if you're rich and famous mm -hmm. and you can create a division political division, uh, you know, that will make one juror hang the case, mm -hmm. you win. It's not something that's easily palatable. I mean, I don't like it. I'm not mm -hmm. happy with it. I didn't like writing it. I, I considered writing it, you know, for the better part of the last year, and mm -hmm. I didn't. Frankly, I was hoping that someone else would write it, <laughs> but they didn't. Yeah. So I wrote it. Well, you know, I mean, I read it to my mother, and, and she's like, uh, I see his point. You know, I mean, it's like nobody likes it, but there is I mean, look, if, if if they go far enough to indict Trump and then they can't they can't get a conviction. I honestly think that's worse than not can, not doing anything at all. Uh, it, it's so I it don't know bad. what's worse. I mean, it's you know, it, there it's a Hobson's choice. I mean, you've yeah. got, you know, two bad decisions, one on each side. And it's just it's a miserable experience, yeah. you know, to be in either circumstance. Right. And. And I don't know what the answer is. And I'm not saying Garland won't indict Trump. I'm just saying that I think it would be, uh, you know, heroic. I mean, it would be Herculean for mm -hmm. him to be able to get a conviction on Trump because you're going to have Trump supporters on the jury. Mm -hmm. And they're going to do what a lot of Trump supporters do, which is blindly follow him and make excuses, you know, for the worst types of things that he does. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, it was, I guess it was on the 30th, and I'm just going off a Mueller, she wrote, tweet. I'm not going off the article, which I think she did post, but it said a grand jury in D.C. has issued subpoenas to people with direct ties to Donald Trump. So, you know, she breaks the whole thing down, um, the, that, that uh, there's an investigation going on, and it's just we haven't heard about it because this, this department is clearly – not a leaking department. It was Justice Department expands January 6th probe to look at rally rally prep uh, financing. Okay, so they're looking to see who is financing it. And what does that tell you? Did you see that? Well, article? I mean, listen, I, I didn't see it, but here's the thing. There's no, there's no uh, misunderstanding about whether or not DOJ is doing an investigation. Clearly, they're doing an investigation. I mean, they've indicted 750 people mm -hmm. who were involved in you know, in the uh, January 6th attack on the Capitol. So it's not like they're ignoring it. And I have no doubt, you know, that Garland is looking into whether or not there's evidence to indict Trump. But it's not just the evidence. And I think this is really difficult for people who are not, you know, who have not been attorneys for DOJ or practice criminal law to understand. It should, in all, you know, in, in the perfect world, it should just be whether or not there's enough evidence mm -hmm. to show that a person committed a crime. Yeah. But that isn't the case. And that's not for me, you know, it's not me saying that it's the way it should be. I right. mean, it's injustice if there's plenty of evidence to establish that someone committed a crime, but because of his stature and wealth and popularity, 
you know, he doesn't get indicted. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that it's a reality mm -hmm. that the Justice Department has to contend with. Because yeah. as you said, you know, indicting Trump, going to trial and having one or two or three or five Trump jurors mm -hmm. hang the case mm -hmm. and not be able to, you know, secure a conviction would be a disaster in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would. I mean, I think I do think it would be worse because I think that if, if, if it did come down to a MAGA juror, and we all knew that. To, I, 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 like, how does the collective who wants to see him held accountable fucking deal with that? It, you know, it just, it would, it would be really hard. I mean, I know people are pissed off right now, and I know people want to see action right now. But to, to, it's one thing to want to see action; it's another thing to see action fail. It's like then there's no hope left of anything. So, I mean, I get your point, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And the one thing that I, you know, I'm just trying as I, same thing I was, same place I was the last time you were on the show, which wasn't that long ago, but I'm just trying to kind of be patient with all of this because I have seen the arguments out there that if Merrick Garland does not, and or DOJ doesn't invite, indict, then uh, Democrats are not going to show up. And I just can't deal with that messaging because maybe it's true. But I don't want to keep repeating it because I think the more repeat, when we repeat certain messages over and over and over again, they just start cementing and becoming assumptions. And I just don't want that to happen. So, you know, for all we know, there could be an indictment in 2023 or 2024. So why shoot ourselves in the foot and make everything about this year before the midterms? But even if there's never an indictment, and I don't know, I mean, I, I still stay in touch with, you know, some of my agents, including the FBI, but they're not working on that investigation. So I don't know. I have no inside yeah. information. Even if there is not an indictment, the idea that Democrats should, you know, stay home is is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying, you know, if you've been stabbed in the foot, you might as well shoot yourself in the heart. I, <laughs> right. I, I, I just don't get that type of, of reasoning. Me I mean, neither. it's all the more reason, frankly, for Democrats to show up in droves so that we don't have to rely on the Justice Department, yeah. you know, in order to maintain power with Democrats and, you know, maintain the rule of law. Because if Republicans get in power, you know, there are going to be all sorts of investigations of the Justice Department, I'm guessing, and people in the Justice Department and people who were formerly in the Justice Department and, you know, administration uh, officials of the Biden administration. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a mess. And so, mm -hmm. you know, Democrats should feel compelled to get out and vote and get their friends out and vote and get their grandmothers out and vote, you know, and, and get, you know, get the power that we need in order to try and keep, uh, you know, the country back on the track that Biden has gotten us on. Yes, yes, 100 fucking percent. Um, so, I mean, are you working, what are you working on now? Oh, interesting, you asked. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, for the last, uh, what, four years, three, four years, I've been writing for newspapers, so yes. I've written for The Guardian, The Chicago Tribune, I'm a columnist at UMS, USA Today, I write a lot for them, um, you know, Slate, The Hill, New York mm -hmm. Daily News, etc. I know everyone, you write for everyone. <laughs> I, I, the, yeah, I seem to have written for a lot of papers. I'm a nomad, I guess. Um, but I have, I've really wanted for years to write fiction and to write creatively and so i've been writing a tv pilot oh wow um that i that i've just finished up i'm sort of going over it another couple times before it's finalized it is a dramedy mm -hmm. um sitcom 
you know, as well as I said, you know, has dramatic uh, aspects to it. Mm -hmm. And um, it is about, are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. A burned out prosecutor who quits his job with the Justice Department (laughs) in order to find his bliss. (laughs) That's completely awesome. I wonder who it could be about. It's a stretch. You know, it's going to require a lot of research. I'm really going to have to, you know, go to the library. I'm going to have to talk to prosecutors. But I think I can do it. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, So now you've been writing the screenplay. I'm just curious about this. How far, like how much have you written? So I've written the first, I've written completely the pilot. Now, let me say this. Uh I I don't know anything about you know, writing for entertainment. I don't know any agents or managers or producers. So any agents, managers or producers who are interested in something like this, uh, please contact me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Michael J. Stern. Um, Michael J. Stern one on Twitter. <laughs> Former federal prosecutor. Well, that sounds interesting. Uh, you know, I got to say, as, as somebody who the first three is it three books the first yeah three books I wrote I mean I did the virgin diaries and ain't no sunshine those were compilations and then I wrote uh, a book about it was basically the it's called American woman and it was it's a little bit about my experience as a feminist uh, starting in 20 I mean I've been a feminist my whole life but just like as activist feminist in 2012 and then it was a little bit of uh, background on women's rights and the right to vote and just a, it's a bunch of stuff and yeah. some, some personal, some what if scenario, lots about the ERA. So that was not fiction. And then I wrote a book called Peyton's Choice, which was about uh, teen abortion. And I got to say, you know, I mean, just like with you, I based it very loosely. I based it on my life when I was a teenager. I mean, I never got pregnant, but that's what fiction is all about. And so but I put it in the backdrop of Torrance, California, which is this beach town. And I had four I had three best friends. So there were four of us. And it was so much fun. Did you have, like, for me, it was just kind of like I knew the idea. I knew the basic idea of my story, but I didn't know where it was going to go. So as I was writing it, it was almost like a movie playing in front of, in like in my mind's eye. And then I was just typing it down. How, yeah, what was it for I know you? exactly what you're talking about. So for yeah. me, um, I had a personal tragedy around the time that I left the Department of Justice. My brother died, mm. and unexpectedly, my younger brother died. Mm. Um, and so a lot of the writing that I've been doing is sort of working through that. And the, you know, the pilot is is not just about, um, you know, it's not just about, uh, you know, working as a prosecutor, but it's more broadly about, you know, sort of getting cynical in the way that I perceived life because of my work as a prosecutor and only seeing the worst in people. And when I had this personal tragedy, um, it made me reassess how I need to deal with life and realize, you know, you always think that there's a tomorrow, but Mm -hmm. there isn't. Um, And so, you know, a lot of the writing that I did, which, you know, this is obviously the dramatic part, um, you know, deals with trying to get through that and trying to accept you know, complex relationships that you've had Mm -hmm. that are not exactly as you would have liked them to be and how to learn from the failures that you made in those relationships Mm. um, so that your other relationships in life and, and, you know, your satisfaction in life and the pleasure you find in life um, is maximized. And, And I think that's difficult for a lot of us. It's certainly been difficult for me who really basically for you know, 25 years just devoted myself to, you know, being a federal prosecutor and put off a lot of the things that I would have liked to have done in life. 
Um, so there's been a catharsis in writing it, but I also really enjoy writing comedy. So odd as it sounds, there is a lot of stuff that's funny about it. I mean, I wrote a column for USA Today about my OCD, um, and it began with me forgetting my flip-flops when I went to swim at the gym and ended up with, you know, I didn't want to stand on the floor because, you know, I didn't want to get a ward on my foot. And I ended up in uh, plastic garbage bags, which ended up filling up with water when I was in the shower. And I ended up falling on the floor when they burst. And, you know, I was so angry and upset about this. And I, I mentioned it to my partner how, you know, horrible this was. Um, and he started laughing hysterically, <laughs> and I hung up on him. And it was only, oh my god! And it was only after, you know, I sort of stepped back and right. thought, it was crazy. And you know, and there I was on the floor, you know, like a, you know, like a pan, you know, a greasy lasagna pan soaking in water. And then I had decided that. You know, I had this little spray bottle of isopropyl alcohol, you know, and I needed to I needed to sterilize myself because I had just been on the gym floor. Let me tell you this, Kimberly, if you spray 91 percent isopropyl alcohol on your body and it gets into any crevice, oh my God. it stings like acid. Do not do it. Learn from learn from my mistakes. Oh, my God, that is so funny. But but anyway, so I wrote this article about that. And the gist of it was that you have to learn to accept some of your imperfections in mm -hmm. life. You know, the, the OCD that I've had since I was a kid, you know, makes my life very unhappy in yeah. many ways. And, but it's also what made me a really good prosecutor because no stone was ever unturned. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's the type of thing that when my mom had, uh, you know, a lump in her breast and, and they did a biopsy and it was cancer, oh. you know, it made me spend, hours and hours and hours tracking down this brand new rotating MRI and you know the the inventor of it in Arkansas and I finally tracked down his cell phone and convinced him to take on my mom as a patient so you know we flew to Arkansas for her to get this rotating MRI to see if there was anything else there that was my OCD that wow. made me do that right and so part of this this show that I'm writing is to learn to you know, try and make your life better, but not only that, to come to some measure of acceptance mm -hmm. as to who you are mm -hmm. and, you know, and not try and beat yourself up daily, um, you know, for some of the things that you're not likely going to be able to change. Mm -hmm. And so the yeah. name of the show, uh, if anyone ever produces it, is called A Place in the World, because I think mm -hmm. that really the trick in life is trying to find your place in the world mm -hmm. and, and make it a, a good place for you to live while you're yeah. here. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you good luck because you're not supposed to do that. So I'll just say break a leg. I mean, if I <laughs> if I think of anyone, you know, and how I I would definitely say, hey, guess what? You know, check this out because that sounds really funny. And obviously, you're you're a funny dude, and you made me laugh the other day because <laughs> you posted. And I'm just going to have you tell the story because you'll tell it better than me. But the story of when you were in England and what people said about you at a dinner oh, party. Oh, God. Kimberly, <laughs> you're going there? Really? I have to. You freaking posted it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that was a mistake. And I never suspected. Okay. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Tell tell them what I posted and, and I'll give you the background. Well, I basically you posted. OK, so you went to go visit your partner in England and I guess there was a dinner party. I mean, maybe I'm getting this wrong with the details, but ultimately the the fellows in England referred to you as as the pale daddy. 
the pale American daddy. The pale American so, daddy. Yeah. So I went I went to London. My partner's a Brit. He lives in London. We went to this dinner party. Um, I don't know. There might have been 40 different guys there. And it was like they had some type of, you know, DNA test that if you were not, you know, like, in perfect shape and you know ripped and you know extremely good looking they wouldn't let you in at the door right. or they wouldn't feed you you know the, the hamburger that they were feeding you um i'm not quite sure how i skated under that threshold oh. of beauty um but i got in and you know it was a very nice party didn't think much of it. And then a couple of days later, my partner contacted me and said, so the host of the party has had a couple of inquiries from some of the guys there. They wanted to know who the pale American daddy was. <laughs> when I saw yeah. that, I started laughing. And I, I was like, it's come to that. You right. know? I mean, I am holding on by the tips of my fingers, you know, to not being, you know, part of the geriatric crowd. Right. Because, you know, I work out. I, 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 you know, I'm vain. I don't want to be an old daddy. Yeah. But apparently that's how I'm perceived. <laughs> the pale American daddy. Oh, my. Okay. Well, you know, I just got to say that. I don't know if – did you ever used to just go to Craigslist? Uh, I'm trying to remember what category it was. But it, before Facebook and before all of this, there was some category on Facebook where – I mean, I'm sorry, on Craigslist where you could just have fun, crazy discussions with people or whatever, and people would post pictures of their boobs and saying, like, rape my boobs. Uh, as a homosexual, no. I can I – can affirmatively say I have never looked on Craigslist for women's boobs. Well, but this was not a room about women's boobs. It was like, I don't know, it was I think guys could post pictures of their penises. I mean, you could post whatever you want. And then it was like rate my whatever, rate my chest, rate uh, my this. Okay. So no, no, I I missed that. <laughs> so I'm not sure if I should regret it or <laughs> Or feel grateful that I missed it, but okay, go Well, ahead. I used to go and look at it. It wasn't only pictures of, of boobs. It was like just this random, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, it was just random shit. And so it was kind of fun, kind of like a Facebook situation. So one day I took a picture for the guy that I was dating. I took a picture of my boobs, right? And it was mm -hmm. a really good picture. It was like, holy shit, my boobs look amazing. And I've never, I mean, I've never had like the perky ones. They've always been a little bigger, so they've always always needed a bra just to be the nice way to say it um but anyway in this particular Again, all new to me <laughs> but this picture was fucking awesome so you know of course i didn't include my face or anything but i posted it up there and uh you know it was like you know rape my boobs picture which i know is probably the least feminist thing that i could ever do but i was in my late 30s and it was like fuck it i'm gonna do this and I mean, most people were really, really nice to me. And a bunch of a bunch of guys, though, they were really flattering, but they called me a MILF. <laughs> it was like, uh, yeah. oh, I'm a MILF. Really? Yeah. But the craziest thing was there was somebody, like, sometime later, a couple of years later, I don't know, it was a good long time later, somebody had posted my boob picture because they wanted, they said, I'm going to take this to my doctor 
and say, these are the boobs that I want. And I was oh, like, you know, that, I'm like, I'm those so, were my boobs. That is a compliment. <laughs> that is a compliment. You need to view that as a compliment. Oh, I you did. Know. I was like, I messaged this person. I'm like, those are my boobs. Thank you. <laughs> I was like yeah, so you happy. You outed yourself. Uh, your, your faceless uh, breasts. Well, no, because yourself. you get to be you get to be anonymous. You can you can be anonymous on Craigslist and mm-hmm. reply to people, and they don't know who's replying. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great story. Listen, yeah. um, I, I completely get it. If the light and the camera yes, angle that's and it. the amount of sleep you got the night right. before and the amount of water you drank earlier in the morning makes it you look worked. good. Yeah, it all worked. I mean, you got you to gotta preserve that picture. You got to make sure other people see the picture. I even showed it to my mother. I showed it to my mom. You. And she was, she was like, okay, that's impressive. <laughs> so yeah. it just happened. And it was, you know what? Because I've taken other pictures and it was like, oh, my God, I would never show anybody this in a million years. But. Yes, this was the picture. It was like the picture. And frankly, I don't even know if I have it anymore. I might I might have it, but I lost you know when like Wait when a minute. You, you wait, a minute. wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, that's not acceptable. You need to find the picture. <laughs> I think I have it somewhere. <laughs> I know, because it's like in Sex in the City, Kim Cattrall had a nude picture done. Actually she had her legs spread open, I think. But she had a nude picture done just so she could say, you know, when I'm older I want to look back and see how fabulous I was. Especially because I, all I ever did was fucking criticize myself. So I should have pictures of uh when I was younger and uh, more fit, let's just say. <laughs> I, I, you, you know, the pictures you post, you still look fantastic. Well, so. thank you. But I will never post. Although, you know, today, this, this Irish actor followed me. And, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's young. And, and so it's going down his feet, and he's got full-on frontal. How can they get away with that on Twitter? Like, oh, listen, there's, in, in the gay community, there are all sorts of guys who make their living as escorts mm-hmm. or doing porn, and they have um, what, only fan sites, and it's on Twitter, and oh. it's not just nudity. I mean, it's, you know, it's active sex, so right. it can be done. Wow. Very interesting. All right. Uh, we are going to get back to politics, but before we do, we're going to take a you quick... You know, we've fallen like completely into the trash hole. It's going to be really difficult <laughs> to get my mind out of it now, but go ahead. Okay. Well, we will be right back after these messages. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast, and I'm joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming, and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We organize. Together, we can protect and expand our Democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Cinemansion-proof majority in the Senate. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, reproductive rights, and constitutional gender equality. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. Just go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win. Donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This is how we win. Okay, and we're back, and it was only one message, but that's okay. Yeah, we we, we need to talk a little bit about Russia, and, and I don't really want to because it's really fucking awful, and... But I do want to know what you think about this, because now that Putin is or it's not Putin, it's these fucking cruel Russian soldiers. They're torturing and they're doing awful things that I don't even want to repeat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But wait, 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 wait. OK. 
the Russian soldiers are gratuitously murdering, yes. maiming, raping, yes. you know, dismembering people. And if you think that that is not happening with the consent and the blessing of Vladimir Putin, oh, you're no. wrong. No, yeah. I, I do believe that it is with a consent. But I think, you know, we've been hearing these reports that soldiers have not been motivated and, you know, they've been turning against their own generals. And now we're getting these reports of everything you just described. And right. it's not to say that I thought, I mean, they were clearly bombing and killing people before. So it's not like I thought all the Russian soldiers were going against, uh, you know, going or going against what they wanted to do. But to find out that the cruelty was, uh, I mean, in order to do that, they're sending a message. It's so cruel. It's so disgusting. And it's so awful. And so my question for you is, you know, I mean, I've asked a lot of people this and I think I understand and know the, the basic answer. But <clears throat> Vladimir Putin has been attacking the United States now with cyber attacks for quite some time. Um, while they have not been physical attacks, it's definitely hurt our country. They've affected uh, the outcome, at least of the 2016 election. Uh, now we're watching, we're standing by and watching genocide. And I'm, you know, <clears throat> I know that um, Joe Biden is going to, you know, give harsher sanctions. There, there is a, a group of people out there who feel like we need to do more. Where are you on this? You know, the problem is I don't know exactly what more can be done. So, yes, I will reflexively say we need to do more. We need to do everything. We need to move heaven and earth to stop an invasion, you know, of an independent country by an an authoritarian an authoritarian caught it from me <laughs> an authoritarian dictator you know who is intent on essentially changing the world or as much as he can of mm -hmm. the world to fascism mm -hmm. so yes I, I I think we should do more the problem that I often find is that when you know people who are not truly experts in this area uh, you know because of the service or because of their education you know say we should be doing X y and Z, they often don't consider the secondary ramifications of how it's going to impact mm -hmm. the United States. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I don't know exactly what should be done. What I do know is that I think that Americans and Europeans and frankly, everyone around the world should be willing to make some sacrifices. And if mm -hmm. that means higher price gasoline or if that means supply chain issues um, interrupted so that you can't get Dr. Pepper, even mm -hmm. though you really love Dr. Pepper, uh, you know, that that we accept these types of things in order to continue putting economic pressure on Russia to try and make it sufficiently unpleasant mm -hmm. that Putin comes to some negotiated resolution with Zelensky as to how, you know, this is all going to end. What do you say to the people who say um, it's easy for people who can afford it to um, say I'll sacrifice with gas prices, but, you know, the people who are already living in poverty and can't afford, like I, I've, I've run up on this on Twitter. How, how do you like the way I look at it is like, I don't know what to say to someone who can't afford you know, to drive to it's, work. That's legit. I yeah. mean, that is absolutely legitimate. Um, mm -hmm. But what I say is that don't sit at home, go to the polls and make Democrats uh, sufficiently powerful yeah. that they can raise the taxes. They can get rid of the tax breaks 
that the Republican Trump administration, the Republican Congress created for people who can afford all of this, mm-hmm. you know, the millionaires, the billionaires, mm-hmm. the Republican donor class, and they can cut tax breaks for ordinary and lower income mm-hmm. Americans so that they have the ability to withstand some of the financial hardships that are coming that they wouldn't be able to withstand otherwise. Yeah. And what people don't seem to understand is that they're, you know, this is all connected. Mm-hmm. And so to say, um, you know, sh- I don't want to be flippant and say we should be willing to accept higher gas prices when, of course, some people can't afford mm-hmm. higher gas prices and it would have a huge impact. What I'm saying is let that motivate people mm-hmm. more broadly to say, let's create some type of economic equity um, you know, within the United States and not keep giving huge tax breaks to billionaires and screwing ordinary Americans. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I know that it's very difficult to ask people who are living in poverty to make any kind of compromise or you know like you can't even afford to do it but yeah go to the polls have a fucking plan that that everybody needs to have a plan and you know i'm seeing a lot right now even hillary clinton said democrats need to have better messaging and she said the democrats need to explain more about you know what they do for people i do see I, them, I do see them doing that i mean at least on twitter but i what i i think they should do that and i think they should also pair it with telling everybody what they're going to lose if Republicans win. Because I know from my own experience, the whole rah-rah thing, if you're in a, if, if people are comfortable and some people are comfortable because they're not paying attention. And so, you know, they, they aren't necessarily motivated. What motivates you is, oh, I'm going to lose something. Oh, I may not have that right anymore. I might lose my Social Security. I might lose my Medicare or whatever it is, my, my right to vote, my whatever. Um, in some, you know, in many states, people have already lost the right to an abortion, even though it's still legal. Um, right. So, so yeah. let, let me just let me just backtrack one second. Also, I also think that for people who can't afford some of the things like higher gas prices and higher prices at the grocery store, the Biden administration should do something for those people who are below a certain threshold to try and supplement them, you know, while the, while the war is going on. Okay. Now I'm back to what you were saying. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Except that I completely agree with you, you know, but let me say this, you know, I've heard this argument before. I agree with this argument. I've made the argument, you know, that we need to have better messaging. We need to explain to people what they're going to lose. But I have I have come to the conclusion that all of that has been done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, for you know, before the election, before the 2016 election, people were talking about what's going to happen potentially on the Supreme Court if if Trump is mm-hmm. elected and Republicans mm-hmm. get appointed to Democratic yeah, slots on the it, Supreme Court. It happened, yeah. So it's not like people didn't know that or right. don't know that. Um, I think it's being done. I think it should continue to be done. I do have to say this, though. I think that Democrats are often more tepid, more thoughtful, mm-hmm. more, yeah. um, you know, more sort of uh, um, prissy in their articulation of what goes on. And mm-hmm. what often seems to resonate is the sort of crazy, angry firebrand, uh, you know, that comes from Republicans mm-hmm. rather than the very intellectual mm-hmm. explanations that come from Democrats. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Democrats are not correct in what they're saying right. and that what they're saying isn't important because 
it's more important yes. than the junk, you know, that gets vomited out of the mouths of many Republican politicians. But I also think that we need to find a different brand of Democrat, you know, who gets angry, who doesn't appear that they, you know, are a law school professor explaining what's going to be lost. There's sort of a human, mm-hmm. um, there's sort of a human component that is often missing in Democrats. I mean, you know, I follow uh, Eric Swallow. I was just going to uh, say him. He's perfect. Yeah. yeah. He, you know, he's a rep from California and he seems to actually get it. He I does. Mean, he seems to be able to power himself down to, you know, the most basic messaging mm-hmm. core. He's got some snark. He's got mm-hmm. some sarcasm and it's entertaining to read. So mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like I'm reading uh, you know, a school book article yeah. on what, you know, on what the message is. I mean, it comes across in a very nice, tasty, sweet package. Totally. And I think that that's more effective. And I don't think Democrats have been trained to do that. Right. And I think that in many ways, that's what places us at a disadvantage to the sort of crazy hair on fire uh, you know, Republicans that get a lot of attention with what they say. Yeah, and a hundred percent because as you were leading up to it, I'm thinking I have to bring up Eric Swalwell because he's the yeah. perfect. He does it perfectly. It's like you said, it's not textbook. He makes he personalizes it. He says the things that you and I are thinking. He he right. brings it down to that personal level, and that's what's really important. And it's like Democrats don't have to fight dirty. They don't have to um, basically become Republicans. That kills the country. But but they definitely need to take more cues from Eric because he knows what he's doing. And then what that does is it charges up the base. It makes them want to run out and vote. It makes them want to, you know, donate to a campaign whenever it gives you enthusiasm. He's he's a great uh, communicator because of that. And I would love to see more of that from the party. And it's yeah, not, listen, last night. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that it it's it's not like. To me, when I want more from Democrats, it's not me attacking them. It's me wanting to see more Eric Swalwell. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. Last night he had a tweet on Twitter where he was making fun of some, I don't remember who it was, some Republican uh, congressman or congresswoman who couldn't, who didn't spell Mickey right. Oh, Lauren Boebert. Yeah. You know, some attack on Disney was yeah. being made. And, you know, he spelled out the song, you know, M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. <laughs> and, you know, he spelled it out saying, there's actually a song about it. All you have to do is, is mouth the song and you can spell it right. I mean, that's the kind of, yes. you know, edge that we need yes. because, and I've said this in column after column after column, if we continue, you know, to follow the Michelle Obama mm-hmm. theory that when they right. go low, we go high, we will be forever eating Republican dust. Yes. And that is just not the way to do it. We know that's not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need people who are capable of you know zinging mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. the republicans in the style that they zing us with mm-hmm. except that we have you know right on our side we're, yeah. we're, we're I mean, the people... you know it can be based on facts listen yeah you know there there's so much to ding republicans about that are actually true mm-hmm. that it's not like we have to exaggerate anything it's just that we need to take the truth and package it in a better wrapper i mean you know if a kit kat came in a brown paper wrapper you wouldn't want to eat it. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's the delicious picture of the, of the you know, three layers of chocolate and cookie crunch on the front that make you want to open it up, right? Oh, my God. Somebody else. It would still be a Kit Kat, but it just wouldn't taste as good. 
I want Eric Swalwell and you to uh, figure out democratic messaging, please. <laughs> uh, you know, if someone contacts me, I'm willing to help on that because listen, what I have done in the columns that I write, you know, when I, be when I began writing, I was writing sort of straightforward columns, you know, with my own sort of snarky zing to it. But in the last probably year and a half, two years, I just sort of started, I decided that I didn't want to write just what everyone else could write. So mm -hmm. I started writing things that I thought and I think other people felt, but that people were not voicing. Mm -hmm. So like the Merrick Garland column, mm -hmm. I was sort of hoping some other former prosecutor would write it. Right. I knew what a lot of us were thinking. Mm -hmm. I knew the anger that was going on with the Democratic base. And I decided to write about it because... You know, I, I think people were thinking about it and no one was actually talking about what the specific problem was. And I knew what that problem was. Yeah. You just had to go and be the pale American daddy, didn't you? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Listen, I've got 21,000 followers on, on Twitter and I've, I've, you know, scrapped for every single one of them. But we were talking about the OnlyFans account. And I told you that there yeah. are, you know, all these yes. gay porno stars. Yeah. They have hundreds of thousands <laughs> right. of followers. Right. I might have to take a picture of myself you know, and, and post it as the pale American daddy and rename myself oh my to see God. if I can do a bit better on my followers. Oh, my God. Oh, well, I will say this. In order to one way to and I don't know how often you treat, tweet, but like the more Too often. Well, yeah, like I, the more often you tweet, the more you get. But I will say that I've noticed in the last couple of days, there's been a like a slowdown with followers because it's like I get a bunch of followers and then I lose a bunch of followers and then I get a bunch of followers and mm -hmm. I lose a bunch. I think they're probably going through some kind of cleaning because this happens every once in a while. So I don't know what that's worth, but I'm just throwing it out there. Um, okay. The last time you were on the show, you talked about having COVID and it's funny because I've just come over or come out of the other end of whatever the fuck was been going on with me. I think I kind of know what it is, but I'm not sure. But yeah, I started getting a sore throat a couple of weeks ago. And you know, the funny thing was when you were on my show the last time I had a little bit of a sore throat, but then it just went away and I was fine. So hmm. this one didn't, it didn't go away. It started off subtle, then it got worse. And then I kind of just felt like all I, I had no fever I had no congestion. Um, I felt run down, and that was probably. But you tested, right? You tested. Oh yourself. my God, I tested. I obsessively yeah. tested, and I went. I got two PCR tests from CVS, and then I also did a CVS antigen test and then home test. So all negative. I'm almost positive that it's. You know, people were saying, "Oh, maybe you have strep." I don't. I did. I've had strep, and I. I don't believe I had strep. It didn't even hurt that bad. It hurt, but it wasn't like searing, scorching sore throat pain that you experienced, that you talked yeah, about. Yeah, I had the scorching. I right. had the, I had the, you know, the uh, salad bowl next to my bedside right. because it was easier to spit than it was to swallow. Yeah, I mean, that was not even what I experienced. But um, it was funny because I've got this fucking nasal polyp and this woman who I talked to a little bit online, she listens to, I think, Bob's show. Um, she had messaged me and said prior to her getting her nasal polyp out, she would have this problem. And she said, it, it's just, it's really gross and I won't go into the details, but it just, there's post-nasal drip and it gets all filled with gunk and it makes you feel sick and it makes your throat hurt. And I thought, oh my God, that's probably fucking it. And so I do have a, a, an appointment with the doctor um, on the 11th. So we're going to do a virtual appointment and I'm just going to say, rip that fucking thing out. Can we make an appointment for it? So we'll see. But um, I, the whole point of this is just like I thought I had COVID. I was almost convinced that I had COVID because I was just like, 
I've never felt like this before. I yeah, no, no, I, no, that's reasonable. Right? Yeah, I was like, I was, and, and, but I don't think I have it now. But all that said, there's a new fucking variant. Have you heard about the variant? Yes, of course, unfortunately. <laughs> <And> <laughs> there's guess, always a new variant. Yeah, it's a combination okay. of the two. And what, a, you know, there was an article that I read that said, I think the, the headline was, here's a new variant and why you don't necessarily have to be concerned. Well, it's they, they've merged, and I can't remember what, what the variant is called, but XE or something like that. But it is, I guess the, the, the experts are saying that this is normal and that it should phase out quickly. Um, I am getting my second booster tomorrow, and mm. I noticed, to, this was a little upsetting, but every day I go to my county's COVID cases thing to see what they are every, you know, on the daily average and every day. So, I don't know, it's like April 2nd, they had it at zero, which was a glitch. It had been averaging around 40 to 50 new cases per day. So I noticed that at least for one day, it was zero. That happened earlier this year when we were in the thousands. And then now I checked it and it said April, I think it said April, what are we today? We're on, we're April 5th. So I think it was April 4th. They had it at 300. So I yeah. don't know if that was accumulation of two days put together. I don't know um, if that was one day, but it's like, holy crap. Holy crap. When is this going to be over? I, I mean, I just got to hope that, when when we get our boosters, you know, and and so many people have gotten sick, that this just fucking plays out. Because how how much longer can we deal with this? Listen, I you know everyone's exhausted. I'm exhausted, and you know I have a greater tolerance. I, I mean, I obsess about it. I complain about it. I worry about it. Wakes me up at night. But I have told myself uh, that. All I can do is to wear a mask mm -hmm. and be careful. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I still wear a mask when I go out in public, if I'm in indoors in a public place. Yeah. You know, when I go to the grocery store, I wear a mask. When I go to the gym, I'm typically the only one now wearing a mask because wow. they're not required anymore. Um, you know, and I have a little thing that seals the mask around my face. Mm -hmm. But I did all of that when I was in L.A. and I went to a swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And the only place I took off my mask was at the swimming pool when I swam laps. And some guy came into the lane and swam with me, which was the first time that happened wow. since COVID. Um, and I'm assuming that that's where I got it. Right. Um, and I know how to wear a mask. You know, it's mm -hmm. like I have friends who, who say they wear a mask and I, you know, I, I could I could stick my finger down, you know, <laughs> okay. in the gap. So. Yeah. It, it, you know, I know how to wear masks. It's exhausting. It is. You can only do what you can do. Now, mm -hmm. I'm saying, and, and most people are not doing what they can do. Most right. people are not wearing masks no. anymore. Um, but I'm saying all of this, but at the same time, I'm still ruminating and obsessing and, you know, griping about it privately. So I'm com trying to come off more together than I actually am, but I, I get it. Yeah. Well, it just sucks. You know, I'm, I'm tired of this. We're all tired of this. I feel like, oh, my God, isn't it ever just going to peter out? How long did it take for the 1980, 1918 Spanish flu? Wasn't it the Spanish flu in 18? It um, was. Like, how long did it take to just fucking go away? How many variants I, did they have? I don't know. And I think it was years. But I also think that... You know, I, I don't know that you can compare one to another. So, right. I mean, I don't know that we can look historically and say this is what happened then. So this must be what's going to happen now. Right. But I, mean, at I think least you ha a gauge. have to listen to what the experts are saying now. Yeah. Well, that's true. 
but you know like maybe as a gauge or something but it's like i can't oh god please no just as things start looking better it's like not uh, 300 300 new cases were more cases in a day than we had before the vaccine came out like at the worst po- you know i think i don't know when the vaccines were really it's like january people were getting vaxxed but it was really hard to get i think it was like much easier to get heading into like march april may of last year Listen, I w- when I was in London, I was in London 10 days ago. I was on the, you know, the tube a lot, the, you know, the subway yeah. a lot. Uh, you know, it was so crowded, so packed. Wow. I mean, there were people's hair, you know, in <sighs> my nose almost. I wow. could smell the shampoo that they used that morning. Um, and by the way, herbal essence still smells pretty good. It does. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I mean, even with my mask on, I could smell the shampoo that was used. Um, and... I would say 99% of the people on, on the underground, on the tube, did not have masks mm-hmm. on. They were coughing, they were sneezing, mm-hmm. they were rubbing their, you know, their eyes with their hands. You know, it, it was, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, it would change if everyone was committed to wearing a mask. Yeah, and I'm not saying don't go out, don't go to the movies, right. don't go with friends, you know. I'm saying just slap a mask on your face at yeah. the time that you do that. And this is not a popular no. uh, position anymore. No, it isn't. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I did my little tweet today about the people say living, you know, like, are you living in fear when you put your seatbelt on? Are you living in fear when you use an umbrella? And it's like, no, wearing a mask isn't living in fear. It's just taking a precaution. But yeah, you piss too many people off when you want to when you want to do that, at least where I live, because I still mask up too. But where I live, I, you know, most of the people in the grocery store, the clerks, the checkers, the managers, they're wearing masks. A few aren't, but most are. And I would say since the mask mandate has been lifted, I would guess about half of the uh, the shoppers are masked. So at least, which is probably more than That's most. pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And, you know, and I ask people when, I, when it first started and I was, I knew the mandate was up. I asked, I said, is, does the store require you to wear this? Or are you choosing? And everybody's like, no, I'm choosing that they don't require us to wear it anymore, but too many variants and possibilities there. And I mean, they're dealing with people in the public every day, so they have to be especially mindful about it. And some, you know, some of the younger people don't care, but most of the people that I see, like I said, all the way from, all the way from people checking my groceries up to management, they're wearing masks. So, so far that's pretty good. But I just, I just hope that we get through this new variant. Like it's faster than Omicron and then it just starts to Peter. I don't know what's going to happen though. I don't know. It's all fucking okay. awful. I, I, I second your motion to make it go quickly. Yes. I'm not sure it's going to help. <laughs> okay. So before we end today, I wanted to do this. I've asked what I asked one other guest to do this, but I'm going to incorporate this when I can. And it's the bear. I'm going to say it like, he said it on the inside the actor studio, Bernard Pivot. So anyway, this is just this list of random questions that's fun. And the whole thing, I'm going to ask you these questions. And then... Oh, you know, I am not a spontaneous person, so I'm sweating <laughs> a little bit. Well, you know, as, it's like, as fast uh, as you can answer it. Like, just like the okay. first thing that comes to your head. I know it's going to be hard in some cases because you're like, oh my God, I know. But just, it's fun, no pressure, but it's a fun little list. And let's go for it. Okay, so what's your favorite word? Cookie. <laughs> what's your least favorite word? 
Cons- uh, conservative. No, Donald Trump. Can I? Can I? Is that? It's two words. Trump. 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 <laughs> or Republican. Okay. Interchangeably. Yeah. Okay. That's good. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, getting to the center of an emotion um, and stripping away the extraneous, um, you know, the extraneous uh, parts that really don't matter. Getting to the center of things. Wow. Uh, what turns you off? Can I go back to Trump and Republican? Or do I have to find something new? No, that's good. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, the sound of the rain. I mean, I never sleep better than when there is the sound of the rain. I mean... I, I, when it rains in LA, which is almost never, right. I have a skylight in my hallway. Oh, wow. I will take my blanket and my pillow and go into the hallway <laughs> on the hardwood floor and sleep under the skylight so wow. I can hear the full sound of the rain. That's so cool. Okay, so what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, okay, so my, every morning my partner and I Zoom, and so we can see each other. He's in London, mm-hmm. and he is eating breakfast when it's, you know, midnight or so in LA. <laughs> And he has styrofoam containers that he scrapes spoons against (laughs) as he is eating his breakfast. And I cannot tell you the number of times when I've screamed at him. And and somehow it is so close. It's not just ordinary sound. It's like amplified 10 times. (laughs) So there have been many times when I have just hung up and said, call me back when you're done with the damn styrofoam. (laughs) And it's it's created a lot of fighting. That's my my least favorite noise. (laughs) Okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, I'd love to be a singer, but I, I, I'm horrible. <laughs> I think singer would be mine, too. What profession would you not like to do? Undertaker. And last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was easy. That was Blank, easy. You got blanket, blanket forgiveness. <laughs> blanket forgiveness. You know what? If the, if that is all, <coughs> excuse me, how it works out, I think you'll get your blanket forgiveness. Um, <laughs> see, that was easy. It was totally easy. That was, I, I love this little game. Did you ever watch Inside the Actor Studio? I think I've seen clips of it before, um, but I don't think I've actually ever seen a full show. But I yeah, loved it. Interesting. I loved it. And, you know, I wish that you could, I, unless somebody knows where you could stream it. I don't think you could stream it. I think you can only purchase it, but one of the best, there was, there was a bunch of good ones, but I think one of my favorites was, um, James Gandolfini. Well, it's James Gandolfini and then also Benicio del Toro, but James Gandolfini, because I was a huge fan of the Sopranos and James Gandolfini was so warm and touching and thoughtful. I, I, f- I fell in love with him, not in a romantic way, but just as a human being. I fell in love with him because of that interview. And That's great. Yeah, he was wonderful. And it's just, it's like, I loved how the guy, the interviewer, I can't, James Lipton, he was really good. He would dig real far and, you know, find out stuff where he would shock his guests and say, how did you know that? And, you know, but he, he just had his way. And it's a really fun kind of show. So I in like case, that because so many of the interviews are like, you know, the old Barbara Walters interview where she has a mic and she says, I think you're fantastic. What do you think? And then she puts the <laughs> mic up to the celebrity's face. It's like, this doesn't do me any good. No. You know, again, dig deeper. <laughs> dig, yeah, no, he would dig deep. And it was just, it's like, I mean, even 
even if you're not an actor, it doesn't matter because you're listening to the actors talk about their craft and, you know, you love watching them. So it's just, I love listening to actors talking about what they do. I think it's so much fun. And it's not just in, in you know, not just for other actors. It's, it's just entertaining all the way around. So I highly recommend. And then the last thing I'm going to ask you about is what are you watching these days? Well, you know, we've talked about this mm-hmm. and, you know, if, if, if it contains the phrase, the real housewives <laughs> of, I'll watch it. Yes. So I love trash television, but the serious <laughs> things that I've been watching, um, there's a show by Ricky Gervais called Afterlife, yes, which was so good. brilliant. It yeah. was so good mm-hmm. and so touching. And it really, as I said, you know, it did what I, I find important, which is strip away all the exterior mm-hmm. artifice and it got to the core of you know what grieving was about mm-hmm. i love that there's a show called trying about a couple trying to have children hmm. a british show that i think is absolutely fantastic hmm. um what else am i watching uh you know and then i watch the other junk television like yeah. all the you know all the real housewife stuff right yeah i just i'm watching did you are you watching the oc right now Yes, I, although, you know, I was in London, so I've missed the last couple of episodes, but go ahead. Well, are you familiar, like, I learned this, uh, okay, I don't remember her name, she's the really tall, thin woman. Noella. Noella. Okay, she gets on my fucking nerves, but um, I just found out that her father, I mean, it's through the show, her father was Christopher Nance, do you know who that is? The weather no. guy? He was like the weather guy at, I don't know if it was NBC or whatever in Los Angeles, for the long, you know, for a long time, he he recently just died, mm-hmm. but it kind of gives you because in the show he died, and he, I guess oh. I, before I had, I think it was a couple of weeks ago she talked about the fact that her father was Christopher Nance, and I'm like Christopher Nance, I know that name, and I looked it up, I was like, oh my god, he's the weatherman, I remember him in Los Angeles, and. So what she's saying about him is that he was he basically just didn't want to have anything to do with her. The only time he'd want to have anything to do with her was for like a photo op. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I listened to the way that she what she says about life and men. And, and you know, she clearly married a man with a lot of money. And now and this this man left her and she's devastated. Her, and but I look it's like but interesting that kind of happened with her father. Her father was a man who, you know, he had money. I don't know how wealthy he was, but he was doing fairly well. Um, And he rejected her. And as Mm. much as I don't like her, um, I found myself having a little bit of pity for her because I, you know, I can't, she seems so surface and that's what I don't like about her. And she's very petty and rude. But I think she's obviously doing this battle. Like she had, she was talking to someone about all of this and said that she had written to her father and praised him and said that he was a good dad. But then off, like when, when she wasn't writing at her dad, telling him how good she was, she was on camera saying what a horrible opportunistic dad he was. So like, I don't, yeah, you know, I have to say most of the show, most of the real housewife shows and most of the, the, the cast of the real housewife shows don't show you a lot of, you know, deep down mm-hmm. true emotion every now and then it happens. Mm-hmm. And when it does happen, I find it to be really refreshing. Yeah. And it's like, I'm never going to like her because I don't like her the way, I mean, unless she changes the way she behaves. Her behavior, I think, is just immature and petty and very surface, uh, and I don't like it. I'm with, I'm with you on that. She's yeah. not my favorite character to watch on the show. But the thing about The Real Housewives is that 
you can dislike a character but realize that they perform some type of a function mm-hmm. in the you know the mix the chemistry between all mm-hmm. the characters yeah and they can definitely be the one that everybody loves or everybody hates or they gang up against and then there's also the woman who you're probably better with the name but the the uh the cosmetologist is that, see is that even how you call it not a cosmetologist the the plastic surgeon the blonde plastic surgeon oh jen Je- is it jen yeah, she, yeah, and she's married to that fucking ape who won't put a shirt on, right? Who won't even talk. He's such a he's so weird. And I look at the two of them, and for me, you know, it's like it's tr- it is total trash TV. But at the same time, these are real people who got married, and right. you know, and and the crazy thing is, is especially when I watch the OC, I'm so reminded of when I lived in Torrance, and these women are not necessarily like all the people that I knew or hung out with, but like a lot of people that I knew and hung out with because it is very white. It is very privileged. And these people are in Orange County, so they have like way more privilege. They have more money. And so for me, it's it's, it's very psychological, you know? And it's like this woman married this man and he's, he's like, I don't know what their deal is and I don't necessarily want to hate on him, but I would never be married to a guy like this because he's so fucking rude to her. And I, but I look at them and I, I don't know, I, the best way I can describe it, it, yes, it's trash TV, but at the same time, I know that while they have all of these, you know, get angry and fight, you know, when you can and do this, it's not all made up. Enough of it is real that it, it, you know, you can look at it and say, okay, these people got married and they're in a real, they're in a weird relationship. And I like to kind of analyze what's going on with them. And I know not everybody likes that shit you know like my mother the last thing she wants to do is watch my boyfriend is not interested and i don't you know i understand why oh listen listen i i I completely and immediately acknowledge (laughs) you know it is trash tv but i will tell you this when i was working at doj and all i did was deal with murder and you know international drug trafficking and gang violence and extortion you know, the real housewives were a complete diversion yeah, from right. that. Yeah. And and to be honest, in my last jury trial uh, at DOJ, I used the real housewives as an analogy on how to establish circumstantial evidence wow. in a big criminal drug conspiracy. Oh, my God. That is so yeah. freaking cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, it was funny because the judge afterwards told me, I thought you were having a breakdown. I had no idea <laughs> where you were going when you talked about the Real Housewives. And then when I heard all you had to say, I was like, yeah, that, you know, that's fantastic. Right. And the jurors, by the way, loved it because wow. several of them knew the show. Yes. And, you know, they were like shaking their heads mm-hmm. and, you know, they looked up from, you know, whatever they were doing and they were paying attention. But, um, yeah, you know, that, <laughs> that show was a good distraction for wow. me when I was at DOJ. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's just, to me, it's dumb when people want to criticize what you like. You know, I see it all the time on Twitter. If somebody's like, oh, X is my favorite band, and then you get some music snob acting like you don't have taste. It's like, let us enjoy what we enjoy. We all like yeah, listen, I love the monkeys, different. so no one can ever, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's just ridiculous. So I don't listen to the naysayers, but it, it's, you know, I know not everybody who listens to this show watches The Real Housewives, so we don't have to talk too much about them. But, but they are fun, and I like them too, and it is an escape. It's just, a, it's like, put yourself in a completely different world, even if it's just for an hour, because then you have to come back to 
real life and, and see the horrible things that are happening in Russia and hear the horrible things that Republicans are saying about women and gay people and black people and whatever. And it's yeah. just so much to take. So, yeah, it's a fun little escape. Um, it's always fun talking to you, though. But before I let you go, I know um, you're I know you're a busy man and I know you got a lot on your plate, but I just didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to bring up before we end the show. No, I, I think that's it. You know, I love talking to you because we sort of get to the meat of the matter yes. and it's fun and we get to talk politics and trash at the same time. And <laughs> what's better than, you know, what's better than a, a main course of politics with a side dish of trash? Hell yes. And one day we, we shall do this in person. I just like, I, well, I know that some of your time is in Los Angeles. So when we're both in Los Angeles, when God only knows that's when it's going to be for me, I don't know. But it's like, have you ever been to Larchmont? I would love to just go sit on Larchmont and have some tea and talk with you. <laughs> have I been to Larchmont? Of yeah. course I've been to Larchmont. I love Larchmont. Yeah, yeah. I love, and I miss it. I just miss it so much. So one day we, we shall, mani- that will manifest for us. We will we'll make go it happen. To, we'll go to Le Petit Greek, which has the best mm. lemon potatoes I've ever had. Yum. And I love Greek food. It's so good. All right. Um, okay. Now, before I let you go, tell everybody where they they can find you so they can find me on twitter at michael j stern the number one um and that's s-t-e-r-n people seem to like to spell my name in different ways but it's S-T-E-R-N. <laughs> awesome well i've got that uh your your handle in the patreon description of the show of course you can find me on twitter at author kimberly k-i-m-b-e-r-l-e-y my books are on amazon thank you for listening and thank you for coming on the show one more time. It's always awesome to talk to you. It's been my pleasure. Take care. Bye.